there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, you may know my guest as an award-winning playwright who has written productions such as Hostage, Chair, Room 1214, and the play that was so controversial that it couldn't even have its name published on social media, Hitler's Tasters. Not only have I had the courtesy of seeing her work on local Los Angeles stages such as the Skylight Theater, but her plays have been staged internationally. She's currently the playwright-in-residence at the New York Rep, a board member of the Performing Identity Theater Project, and a member of the Dramatist Guild of America, the Playwright Center, and Pacific Resident Theater. But here on The Gala Show, I know her as a woman who watched me grow up and who I did Pilates with, Michelle Collis Brooks. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Gala. How are you? I'm so happy to see you. I know. It feels like it's been a really long it's time. It's been really way too long since we were stretching together. I know. We used to see each other, I think, like twice a week, yeah. three times a week. Yeah. We had a weird little group of us that would come in. God, what, how old was your son back then? Oh, my gosh. I think when I started. Because I almost babysat him. That's, That's right. And then I realized you were way too important to be spending time babysitting. You had like a writing gig. I think and he, I was like, I'm so embarrassed. I think he and I would have made really good odd team. Though. I think there would have been a lot of um, hilarious movies being made. Yeah. If the two of you were together. Kind of, kind of what I'm guessing. Before I bring up the topic for today, I have a question for you. Okay. So obviously you're a mother to your son, Henry, and as someone who wants to become a mother one day, I really look up to you for juggling both your home life and your success as a a playwright. So what tips do you have for women who want to pursue both their passions and their dreams of becoming a mother? Mm. Marry a really good partner. That's a really good one. Honestly, I mean... You need somebody who will support you, who believes in you, and who is willing to pick up the slack when you need to step off and take care of your projects, and that you're willing to do that for him. I'm really fortunate. I'm, my husband's a writer and, um, and a lot more of a successful writer than I am, and he's busy, 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 but when we we always kind of trade off like if one of us needs to take some time sometimes I'll say because my husband and my son I mean they're both real pieces of work and they there's a apple lot, doesn't and, fall far from the no, tree no no and they both know that about themselves and every once in a while I'm like I need to get away from you people there's too much talking in this house too much testosterone <laughs> yes <laughs> not even that just too much conversation 
way too much conversation. Oh, I, I feel so, that one. Do you feel that one? <laughs> yeah, I get that one. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, I need to go away for a couple days just to work, too much chatter in this house. And they both get it. They totally get that. And so we try to all give each other that um, space. But I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, shack up with somebody and share a little person with them, I think you need to know that they're going to support you as much as you support them. I have a lot of friends that um, just haven't really been able to pursue their artistic interests um, because of childcare. And then I know other women who are super badass and get up at four o'clock every morning and do their writing for two or three hours before they've got to get the kid to school. I would like to say that I've got that in me, but I'm afraid that I just don't. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, the choice thing. of who you have your child with is really yeah, important. I think it's making really a important. really good partner. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I love it. Now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the microphone. Michelle, why don't you tell us what your topic is and why you decided to choose it? Okay, I'm trying to remember exactly what we said. My topic. I remember. Was I remember what it is. <laughs> can you can you give me? A I'll give you the, I'll yeah. give you the topic. Um, I think we were going to talk about because you've done a lot of adaptations of real life stories, and mm-hmm. I think you wanted to discuss a little bit about how you do an adaptation without exploiting the person that you're adapting. Right. Right. Unless yeah. you want to talk about something different today. I mean, let's see where it goes. No, let's just see where okay. it goes. Okay. Great. Well, that's our topic that we're going to start with today. Okay, let's start with Adaptations that. and how not to exploit the person that you are adapting. Yeah. And now it's time for a commercial break. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. I got 30 minutes on the clock, and I guess we're going to start now. Okay. Oh, we haven't started already. No. Okay. Now we're starting. (laughs) You know, Um, I'll ask you just like an opening question, though, because um, how did you decide to write plays instead of like movies or TV or... Yeah, it's funny. People ask me that a lot, and um, I, I don't know. It didn't even occur to me to go in a different direction. My background, you know this about me, is mm-hmm. actually as a journalist. I was in public radio, and um, I it was a way for me to write, um, to explore topics that were interesting to me. I, I've always, you know, I've always wanted to do something that I felt was useful um, and pursue topics that I was interested in. Um, and and it was a chance to, you know, to be on air, and it was it was fun. Was that here in Los Angeles, or was that back east? Uh, I both. I mean, I worked in. I did some work in Boston. I did some work in Maine, and then um, I was hired to come out to Los Angeles and work on a show called Marketplace, which is business news. Um, did you enjoy national that national program? I mean, it was a challenge for me. I wouldn't say that I've got the greatest head for business, but I did 
learn um, the most important lesson that I think any writer can learn, which is um, if you can't translate the information, then your audience can't learn it. And so I had to, whether I understood the information that was coming at me or not, I had to figure out what it meant and how to translate it and how to make it digestible and how to make it interesting. Um, so that's where I started out and I was always writing. I was always interested in writing and I wanted to write fiction and all kinds of things. Actually, playwriting did not come for me oh, until much later. Did you even like go watch plays when you were a kid or no, like, I mean, as no, much, I guess is like the, yeah, like my, I, I sort of grew up in the San Diego area and mm-hmm. my parents would take me to, um, oh, why am I blanking on the company? But they would do, um, they would do, you know, big productions, big mm-hmm. musical productions outside, but it was also not that far from the airport. So when the planes would fly oh, overhead, the actors would all freeze, <laughs> which now I find horrifying. But at the time I thought it was super cool, right? Were they doing like comedy though? Because I could see that could be kind sometimes, of funny. But sometimes it'd be Les Mis, you know, oh, and they goodness. would just like... <laughs> big number <laughs> even though like the music hilarious. and everything would just stop it would just play like wow it would just so i don't i don't remember about the music but i because it's that's a hard thing to just like stop and then just know? like start back up right. again um it's kind of hilarious when you think about it but that would be my worst nightmare as a director of a play oh my god well you definitely know what you're getting into if but you... do you know when i guess maybe you know the schedule of like when the planes are flying over mm-hmm. so perhaps you could schedule like the break of your show a little bit maybe if you're lucky I don't I mean sometimes it would happen like two or three times in a show (laughs) but as a kid I just thought it was super cool yeah um so I but so I can't say that that was my influence for 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 becoming a playwright no No, the airplanes flying over you really wanted to chase that feeling (laughs) um but I was working in public radio for a long time first it was marketplace and then there was a spin-off show called the savvy traveler that I became the producer for um and you know I've always just been really interested in people's stories and storytelling um and while I was doing that show I started I don't even know how or why but just started seeing more theater in LA Mm -hmm. and I would get that kind of like that prickly feeling that like oh wait I think this is me like I think there's something of me in this and um but it never, I didn't study it. Um, I was, I did a little acting when I was a kid, but nothing to speak of. And um, I did, I wasn't like, I must perform, you know, <laughs> like I must well, write for the son, stage. I mean, like Michelle was telling me beforehand how her son just did a musical. Yeah, he wrote a musical. About Charles Bronson. Yes, Charles Bronson, more than a vigilante, the musical. <laughs> I can't wait for that to be everywhere. I mean, I feel like it was really funny because um, this is a diversion, but we had a packed house. It was like a 200 seat theater. Oh, really? Yeah. It was oh my crazy. God. And you know, a lot of it was, it, it was done at his school. And so a lot of people from the school came out, but a lot of friends and family came out. But I can tell you that like every male over the age of 35 came up to me and said, this is the musical I've been waiting for my because entire life. Because they've been life. dragged to musicals they by their girlfriends dragged. and wives <laughs> and sisters yeah. and grandmas have been dragging them to musicals and all of 100%. a sudden they get to see Charles Bronson more than a vigilante. Oh my God. I cannot tell you. They were dying. They Did you record it? it? Oh yeah. I've oh, got a video. I, I see the video. I'm totally <laughs> sending you the video. I'm totally sending you the It's hilarious. And actually there's somebody who wants to make a cast album of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's really good. Oh my God. You know, a little mom brag moment, but he's... um. He's, he's a creative kid and he's a funny kid and he, um, but he's a really great lyricist, 
which he did not get from me or my husband but he's wow. always been a really good natural lyricist so his songs are kind of great i'm gonna be um, humming to them and singing them you as are as you're gonna be singing them all around town i guarantee <laughs> everyone's like what's that i'm like charles bronson more than a vigilante right the whole thing the musical the musical, the musical. pretty hilarious um but yeah so backing up i you were producing that show the spinoff the savvy traveler right yes yeah, so I, was, I was producing savvy traveler and i was um, at some point started to feel like a real moron because I was sending, I was the producer of the show and I worked in a windowless office, uh, in South Central with bullet holes in the building and underneath oh. a freeway and for the savvy uh, traveler, for the savvy traveler. But I was sending other people who were clearly much brighter than I all over the world to do stories and at some point, I was like, oh, "Feel like there's a better life out there." Like that should be me. me. That should be me. Um, and it was. I mean, I actually really, really loved the work, but um, I. It was a burnout. It was a burnout. We we had to produce a lot of shows, and then we didn't have a lot of staff, and didn't have a lot of money, and and all those things that you would expect from <laughs> public radio yeah. program. Um, so, but but meanwhile, I had written my first play, um, just a short play, uh, kind of on an impulse. And, uh, there was a theater in San Francisco that wanted to do like a, and an, they were doing an evening of women's work. And so I flew to San Francisco and I got to see a play of mine being done for the first time. And, um, it was kind of awful. <laughs> it wasn't quite... It was, I mean, it was awful and amazing all at the same time, but I felt just sick, you know, but with terror. And I loved that feeling. Really? (laughs) Because because something was happening, you know, just something was like, and whether hate it or love it, like it was just dynamic. Something was happening. And um, I, I did not. I mean, look, I had no perspective, but, and then people stood up at the end and they clapped. And How I thought, old do you think you were about at this time? Uh, I must have been in my early, like early 30s. T- yeah, early 30s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I came to it late, you know? Yeah, I don't know if I would say late because you kind of had this whole career build up to like this point. Like you were kind That's of almost like being prepared for... Uh, yeah, I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. I also had a career as I worked in youth hostels, international youth hostels out of college. Really? So that was completely... Do- doing yeah. like, wait, how? <laughs> so you had that travel thing always. Like I always the had the travel, like- right. I always had the travel thing. Um... I, uh, when I graduated from college, there was, you know, there was a recession and there were no jobs and I had studied, you know, like kind of a lame, I studied mass communication and I always wanted to write, but I wanted to have like other skills as well. And so it was sort of this vague, and I had started doing public radio, um, uh, you know, I did an internship and then I did some freelancing, but I needed a j- job, like a job job. Mm-hmm. And I had spent a little bit of time after college traveling around Europe with a backpack and all that. Yeah. And it was super fun and I loved traveling. And And this ad came uh, came up in, in the Boston Globe. They were hiring for a marketing manager at the Boston International Youth Hostel. And apparently me and 200 other people applied wow. for that job because things were so bad. Wow. But I was kind of the right mix of person for like a right job age, like that. Right age, right. Yeah, cultured. the right age, the right the right the right 
vibe, the right temperament. Um, and I, you know, and, and they, and they hooked me up with like, I had my own apartment in the place. Wow. I mean, I had my own parking space, wow. which in Boston is unheard of. It's, really, it's unheard of. And also unheard like of. for that kind of job, I would not assume that right? you get an apartment in a parking right. spot. I mean, the pay was absolute shit. But you, you got know? an apartment in right. a parking spot. Right. So also all my needs were taken care of. And the hostel had, uh, I can't remember how many people we housed every night, but something like 300. And wow. so everybody was like all these amazing people were coming through from, from countries all over the world. Also really, really cute boys from all over the world. <laughs> so, you know, I met a few people and, um, had a great job and had a lot of fun, made lifelong friends. Um, have you ever drawn from that experience in your writing yet? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, not specifically from that. There's like lots of notes about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I was always taking notes on people. I, I always love to. Yeah, I do that to too. People. You I, do, I can see that about yeah, you. And I yeah, eavesdrop. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be. I think you have to be a little bit of an eavesdropper to be a writer. Yeah. You know? Well, I always tell people like if we're having a conversation, I start hearing another conversation behind me, and I disassociate. <laughs> just know I will listen to you, but I have to listen to them first. Right. Just make sure it's not more interesting. <laughs> yeah, our conversation can wait because I'll report back to you on what their crazy conversation is. Right. Eventually, and you'll love it. It's the same with me. My husband is always, he's always mad at me when we're in New York for, because he's like, first of all, do you have to talk to every cab driver? And I'm like, I don't, they talk to me. Like, I don't know why. They talk to me. They talk to me. (laughs) I just have that, like, tell me your life story face, apparently. Um, And on the subway, he's like, this is not theater. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. (laughs) He's like, stop staring at people. I'm like, no, that's what I'm. The world's a stage. The world is a stage. I love that the the cab driver, because I was in an anthropology class and they did anthropology of cab altars, like in Mexico. Oh, And so it's all these photographs of like altars inside the cabs and cabs are like their own little microcosm of stories because they're very transient. And then also like they have passengers and they have their own lives and they know the city so well. Also, So well. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad in New York because we don't, you know, there aren't cabs like there used to be. Um, so many of them have put out of business by Uber yeah. and all of that. But, um, but yeah, there's great, I once had, I was <laughs> once in the back, I wrote a, I wrote a play called cab, um, a short play because I'm, I'm in the back of the taxi, a pair, I thought I was minding my own business. And all of a sudden the cab driver said to me, do you think I should leave my wife? Oh, <laughs> just out of the, <laughs> and I was like, no, well, you really do have that face. Like, tell me your <laughs> life story. I do. Yes. So I said, no. And he's like, well, well, I don't know. And I said, well, why do you want to leave your wife? I guess that was my first mistake. Like I, I kept you the conversation the going. Right? I said, why do you want to leave your wife? And he said, well, she won't cook for me anymore. And I said, are you freaking kidding me? There's restaurants all over Manhattan. Like you wow. don't need your wife to cook for you. Anyway, we ended up, so it ended up becoming this whole play. Did you save his marriage? I have no idea. I'd I like wonder. to think that I did. I'd like to, although you know what? Frankly, I think she should leave him because he sounds like a jerk. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the one thing he needs is a woman to cook for him. Maybe he should go find a woman to cook for maybe him. Maybe he then, should find a woman to cook for him. Maybe yeah. she should find a, woman, a man who doesn't need that. I mean, seriously, it he was must just, have been having a hungry day. He really <laughs> must have been very hungry that day. You're right. <laughs> if that's like the, the straw that breaks the camel's hungry. back. That you tell a random stranger, should I leave my wife because she won't cook for me? Right. And I wonder, like, <laughs> did he try that with everybody that came into the cab? Or just or you? Did I just have that fate? I, 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 to this day, I cannot explain it. But um, but I got a little play out of yeah, it. Yeah, you got so. a little play out of yeah. it. So do you get, like, little plays out of most of your random encounters? Or is it just... 
Well, you know, I think everything is fodder, and I, I, I do jot things down. Um, but uh, no, not everything. Yeah. Because, I mean, because let's face it, there's way too much going on out there. Oh, yeah. Time? Exactly. Time? Yeah. I mean, I had the chance, I think it was Hostage that I saw um, right. at the Playhouse. And that was a really intense, I'm going to be honest, it was kind of an intense experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. the room itself, like how it was set up, that was one of my, like, first I mean I'm I'm into theater in general like growing up as a kid but like that was and the story like how did that come about so should I give a little background on what this is yeah sure give a little background okay give a little background so hostage the play hostage is about um it takes place during the 1979 1980 hostage crisis Iran hostage crisis um and there one of the hostages the youngest hostage was a 19 year old marine Um, by the name of Kevin Hermaning. And while he was a hostage, his mother, this incredible woman named Barbara Tim, who was from Wisconsin, uh, got in a plane and flew to Tehran and convinced the hostage takers to let her visit her son. I get goosebumps just like hearing you recount this. Wow, (laughs) like all over my body. (laughs) (laughs) It's a crazy story. This woman had not, really been out of Wisconsin. She, um, I mean, there was an attorney that went with her. um, But while she was there, oh, just to back up a little bit too, one of the reasons I went, when I heard the story, I went, wait, what? Was because could you imagine today a hostage, like an American hostage is taken and my kid is taken and I go like knocking on the door of the Taliban. Hey, do you mind if I see my yeah, kid? Yeah, it's like the people that get abducted, like the, the Canadians that were abducted in China. Yeah. It's like if you went to the CCP and were like, excuse me, hi. I need to see my son. Yeah, like, can I just say hi? Would it be okay if I just said hi? Um, that takes some cojones. It takes some cojones. And, but the, the hostage takers really um, saw it as a PR opportunity for them. And, um, but the thing that, the crazy thing that happened as if that wasn't crazy enough, is that while she was there, that was during the botched rescue attempt. Oh my gosh. She had no idea that this was going to happen. The um, State Department had issued a warning to America, Americans saying, don't go to Tehran. This is not a good time to travel to Iran. But um, well, she didn't listen because her son is listen. there and yeah. she's got to go. She's a mom. She's got to go save her son. Exactly. There was actually a bunch of the families who had said that they were going to go and she was the only one who had the nerve to do it. Wow. So, so while she's, so she, she actually got to see Kevin for like 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. seems to be a, a question mark. Um, and then the botched rescue attempt happened. And the hostage takers thought that she was sent yeah, by the American government now. to distract them from um, from what was actually going to happen. And so in order to save her son, she was terrified that he was going to be killed. So in order to save her son, she went to, there was a, a press conference, and she went and apologized, made a public apology to um, Bonnie Sadir, who was the acting head, mm-hmm. um, pres- acting president, and apologized for, you know, quote, her country's enormous mistake in attempting this rescue. And she was able to go home after that. She was not able to take her son. The, they had considered letting her take him, but um, in the end, they didn't let her take him. So she had to go back home without him. But then when she got home, 
this woman who had been this raw, raw patriot Republican mm-hmm. became accused of being a traitor. Yeah, because she had, but it's weird because she has to, your family is what's most important, really. Right. It's like your family and then like your town and then like, et cetera, it kind of ripples out like that. Yeah. And so it's, she had like her community just turned their back on Completely them. turned that. I mean, there were obviously people that were supportive, but the media turned on her. The, um, the bricks were thrown through her window. Yeah. I mean, just horrendous stuff. And she, she, she said to me she, she, when I was able to talk to her earlier, she said, Michelle, I was just like a, I was just like a baseball mom. Yeah. She was just a mom. She was like She's a regular a lady that just like her son was, and her son, like an all American guy yeah. was abducted. And so like when you eventually told her story, was it difficult for you to communicate with her about it? Like, was well, she wary of you because of the press and how they had treated her in the past? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and it gets back to our original conversation, yeah. is I did not um, get her permission. Oh. Yeah. I, um, I had a conversation with my manager about it before I wrote it, and his advice was, you know, write your play because – you never know what this is going to evolve into. It could evolve into something completely different. It could evolve into something fantastical. You your own a, story. Your, yeah. It can go in a completely different direction. So write your play and then see where... And then, you know what? If it gets produced, like it's almost impossible to get a play produced. So there's a lot of things that have to happen. But write, you know, write what you need to write. And the other thing was, is that there was clearly something in me that identified with this woman, right? Even though we could not be more different. Well, as a mother with a son. And how old yeah. was your son at the time, probably? Like He was probably around 10 or so. Yes, yeah, so I can only imagine the horror that you felt when you read the story, maybe even as an adult like with a mother. Yeah. I'm not sure if you followed it when it was happening. No, I was too yeah. young. I was too young yeah. at the time. Um, I had no idea. And a yeah. lot of people don't know this story. Yeah. Um, no, I when, I when I learned of this, I just felt like... I, when I heard that she had gotten so much pushback and was treated mm-hmm. so poorly and people called her a traitor, I couldn't believe it. Here's a mom that went to get her kid, yeah. see if her kid was okay, you know? So obviously I really connected in that. And, and I, I wanted to be able to write it from that place, mm-hmm. from that place. Why, why, why am I writing it? There's a million people that could write this story. But I can only write it one way through the lens of me. Yeah, as a mother and as a playwright and as all the experiences that you've had in your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I didn't want, I knew because I had been a journalist, I knew that if I interviewed Mrs. Tim, um, that I would feel obligated to report. Oh, yeah. Instead of interpret. And adapt also. Yeah, and find my own dramatic license that I feel like you need mm-hmm. for the theater yeah for the theater so um so I wrote the play and I also did a little research on the family and I we were in very different places politically mm-hmm. and I was very worried that they wouldn't like me writing their story yeah because um, you come from an opposite side of the spectrum yeah. very yeah very different very different politically yeah um and uh and then it got picked up by the Skylight Theater. And then, you know, I also, I always say, like, I don't believe a play is actually going to happen until until, until like, opening night. And until like, the crowd has walked out <laughs> exactly. of the theater. And, like, we've already seen it. And then that's exactly. when it's happening. Yeah. There's so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. So 
Um, so anyway, it was opening, and I realized it was time for me to send Mrs. Tim a letter. And I found her address, and I wrote she was living in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. And did her son survive? The, yes, yes, they all did. Okay, they yeah. all did. They all came home. Um, so I wrote her a letter, and <laughs> I got a message. So I think I saved her message. And I got a message that said, Hello, Michelle. This is Barbara Tim. So what's going on over there? <laughs> <laughs> And she gave me her oh, phone you number. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I am not a big drinker, but I took a big old shot of whiskey. <laughs> and I called her. And I explained to her that who I was. And I had gotten really interested in her story. And that um, I would love to see if, if she felt okay about it. I, there were a lot of people that had become very interested in her because of the play, mm-hmm. and would she consider coming? Uh, not necessarily, but I, I, even before Zoom, like that sh- we could uh, like call Skype her, her in or something. Skype. Right? Skype. It seems so quaint now that we could Skype her in. And, the good old days, <laughs> right? And maybe people could ask questions and how she felt about that. And she said, "Wow, people are are interested in me." And I wow. said, "Yeah, they really are." And she said, "And they're." And they're on my side. Wow. Yeah. And I said, yeah, people think you're like a hero. And she said, well, that's very interesting because I did, haven't spoken to the press in all these years because people hated me and had horrible things to say about me. So um, I haven't wanted to ever open myself wow. up to that. And I said, no, people are really on your side. Anyway, cut to, it turns out her, another son of hers also lived in Las Vegas and he's an actor. Oh. And, um, so I, uh, got to know him. He's a fantastic guy, Chris, who had also lived through it, you know, as his brother. Yeah, as his brother. Yeah. yeah. And we, um, and we spoke and, uh, he was able to kind of explain to her sort of what small theater was and how it was an interpretation. And they came, he actually brought her to see the show. And were you so nervous? I was dying. I was so nervous because even though we talked on the phone a couple times and we, you know, we met first and she gave me a big hug and she was wonderful. But as I was sitting behind her and, and, you know, I made up a lot of stuff about her ex-husband and their relationship. And, oh. and every time they were like, funny, I was like, I was like sinking down in my seat more. You can't see me. Like, is she going to like come out? Like, right. I thought she was <laughs> dying. And, but every time like I talked shit about her ex-husband, she would laugh and oh laugh. Oh my God. <laughs> so you, you that. knew what to do. I knew. Yeah. I, I figured, but, um, you never know what you're getting into with people. So, um, it was great because the, you know, the, they got a standing ovation. We had, we had yellow roses for her. Cause I don't know if you remember, but like yellow ribbons were the thing yeah. during that time. And to, to hope for the troops to come home and and uh, we had yellow roses for her and she came up she met the actress and then she came up and did a talk back and talked to everybody and wow and um told her stories and she was just better than you could ever imagine and she was so funny and um, it must have been a relief for her though to have people actually positively respond to her story it her son said to me she did not want to go home wow and then we were fortunate enough to do another, um, there was another production in Santa Fe, and all of her kids came out and surprised wow. her, and and even Kevin. Wow. Um, oh, it must have been so weird for Kevin to see the story, too, because yeah. it's his mother's story, but it's also like something that yeah, it was is also his story. Yeah, it was also his story, yeah. 
he was, I was really worried about him um, being upset and he was incredibly gracious. Turns out he does a little community theater on the side. Wow, that's um, awesome. Awesome. And he said probably the loveliest thing that anybody has ever said in reference to me, which was he said that, you know, when he came home after being a hostage, the, the Marines did a really good job of having him go talk to schools and talk to groups and telling his story over and over and over again. Basically, it's therapy. His therapy, yeah. yeah. Um, and he got to really work out his trauma. He said, but my mom has been carrying this all these years. Yeah. And this is the first time she's gotten to work out her trauma. Wow. And this has been a real gift to her. And it was pretty great. That's, you know? that, honestly, I think that's like what a playwright would live for. It really, uh, boy, it ticked a lot of soul boxes for me. That's yeah. for sure. You know, it's not something I recommend as a general rule, like writing about somebody and telling them about it later. That could have gone very, very badly. It could badly. have gone the opposite way, but I think also the research that you put into it and then also probably the inferences that you made allowed her story to be told. And also maybe because you guys were so different politically that you were able to see it from a different angle because I'm sure the people that were attacking her were people that were just like her and that were offended by what she did. And then you were able to see her from like a completely different perspective as a mother. Yes. I, I, I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, but some people also would have just said like, no, I'm going to sue you. Oh yeah. Right, I guess right that's from a, the get go. Uh, um, I mean, it was all, public domain yeah, because it's knowledge. in the newspaper yeah but it would have i would have felt pretty icky about going forward without their blessing yeah i think anyone who does like an adaptation or someone's story etc would feel gross if the person afterwards was like this sucks i hate this this isn't my story and yeah yeah i guess that's a, a thing that you might come across but you haven't come across that in your career have you no um fortunately um i have not and my next two plays that are coming up are based on interviews with real people um so they knew what they were getting into are they still alive the people that were interviewed yes yeah. yes they're all still alive um, so hopefully they'll get to see the play as so well. So hopefully, some, yeah, some of them, one of them, um, I play War Words it's, that's opening in New York in um, November. Um, some of the people that I interviewed uh, have seen readings of it. Okay. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's harrowing. Do you ever get notes from them saying like, oh, like this wasn't like this or like... No, I mean, so far so good. That's good. Okay. Yeah, it's so far so good. I think, um, the, the, so the, the War Words is about, I, I, I interviewed people who served in Iraq and Afghanistan mm -hmm. during the long war because um, I was very interested in, I, I, don't, I didn't know anybody in the military, so I mm -hmm. wanted to kind of understand, get people's personal stories to understand why they would do something that I would never volunteer to do. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were very grateful that anybody wanted to hear what they had to say, Yeah. Um, which was unexpected for me. Um, and I think they were very, um, I mean, let's say, let's just put it this way. They've seen a lot worse. So <laughs> they've been in combat. So seeing a little bit of misrepresentation a reading, up on yeah. stage, it's I think like was like just water off a duck's right, back. Exactly. I think that's not going to hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> they've been through worse. 
And I didn't make anything up. You know, I used their words and, mm-hmm. and they agreed to be taped and all that stuff. But but yeah, I think it's it's weird and uncomfortable for people to see themselves represented up on stage. And so, um, yeah, that could that could always go south. You never know. Um, and then my other play that's coming up um, in New York, October of 2024, is also uh, based on an interview I did with one of the... Um, teachers at Parkland whose oh, wow. um, classroom was shot into um and so we I had I come across her through a series of things and just thought she was so interesting and had such an amazing story that um I asked her if I could interview her and and you know write a play wow. about her um and she was wonderful and agreed to it she actually said you know I, I wish you would because um obviously this you know, the story is about generally about the students and the, you know, I mean, Oh, oh my God, already. I know. Right. And beforehand you were like, I'm not going to be able to fill 30 I'm minutes. I'm like, I can't talk that long. Here you can finish. So uh, what she finish. Said, oh, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, she said uh, when, when it comes to the gun violence stories, it's, you know, of course it's about the students, but also that nobody really talks about the teachers. No. And she really, um, thought it was important you know, to be heard that way. So, um, she, I gave her the script and she was able to read about half and she said, I just can't. And I said, I totally understand. Um, but I have reserved a place for her for opening night. Oh, so great. hopefully she'll be able to come. Do you have the title for that one yet? That one is called room 1214. Oh, that is room 1214. That's room 1214. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So I wasn't sure that it was already produced or not. So October, 2024 in October New York. 2024. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Amazing. I know, You're right? fun to talk to, Gala. Thanks. <laughs> As if we have never... We knew that already. We always had a <laughs> yeah, lot of chatting. Lots to chat about. And we weren't even stretching at the time. I know. We weren't. <laughs> Maybe later. Um, is there any final thought that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I think... Um, I guess... I guess... Uh, I'm going to make a little plug for theater. Yeah, do it. If I could. Because I feel like um, in a time where we are all being so bombarded with news all the time, 24-7 on our phones, on the on the television. If young people, I don't even know if people are watching the television anymore. But um, Yeah, barely. Yeah, barely. But we are just constantly being assaulted with information. And I always feel, I go numb, you know? I just I just go numb. And there is something, I think, really special and magical that happens when you're in a theater, especially when you're in a small theater, where people are, once again, able to breathe together and um, have a visceral experience with other people so that you're not, um, you can't disassociate Mm -hmm. and you have to kind of pay attention. And And put your phone down. And put your phone down. Yeah, you can't eat popcorn. You can't. That's check the your difference phone. with the movie. You can't yep. eat popcorn. Yeah. Yeah, you can't eat popcorn. You can't even really get up to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Right. I mean, unless it's an emergency. But um, yeah, and so there is something in sitting with people where I think you open yourself up to people and ideas a little bit more. And I don't know. I think it's a great connector. So. I hope people go like see some smaller theater because um, it's really struggling right now, and I think it's it's just a good place to feel some stuff. Yeah, and it's a safe place to cry, to laugh, yeah. to let it all out. Yeah, so. it feels good. It does feel good. Yeah, so I think that's a good argument for theater. That, that actually makes me want to go to the theater, so maybe I will. <laughs> go to theater. Maybe I will be going for the theater. 
That's it for today. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on to the show. You can find Michelle on Instagram at Michelle Colos Brooks. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-K-H-O-L-O-S-B-R-O-O-K-S. Or you can keep up with her written work on her website, MichelleColosBrooks.com. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by the Video Archives Podcast Network. This episode was executive produced by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.